professor in college, a philosophy professor, who once said that love gave birth to the arts. I had to think about that. But love gave birth to the arts. See, if you think about it, artistic expression, whatever the medium is, whether it's music or, or poetry or the visual arts, right, much of it is created in this world, not all, but much of it is created as an expression of love of some kind, right? How many of you, don't raise your hand if you're embarrassed, but how many of you at one point, you know, you, you, you fell in love, you, you met the one, and if your spouse is here and this is a different person, don't raise your hand for sure, but you, know, you wrote a poem or a letter, or you, you just somehow had to express the love that you felt for somebody, right? Like it's this, you just couldn't contain it, right? When we fall in love, when love becomes a part of our reality, it, it, it begs to be expressed in some way, right? It spawns creativity, why? We have to communicate it somehow. Right? It's the nature of, of what love is. Love doesn't remain quiet. It speaks. It bursts out of the seams. Right? The, the most quiet individuals that I've ever met, when they fall in love, all of a sudden they're talking like my ear off. I had friends throughout high school and college that were like the quiet type who never said a word. You know, and then they met a girl and that all I heard about was the girl over and over and over and over. Why? Because it's just... You just express it, it comes out, right? And so this morning, as we're looking at a deeper study of the personhood of Jesus, we're going to focus on Jesus' love and what that love is, what it means, how it expresses itself, how the, the nature of love is manifest within the person of Jesus Christ. And it'll be a brief one. I know that I say that all the time, but we won't be here that long this morning. We're just going to take a quick look at the love of Christ as we've been looking through the various aspects of his character. Right? And at the end, we'll see that we're not even getting to the grace part yet. We're just going to examine the love of Christ. And so I would encourage us this morning to stand as we read our Advent series passage. We're going to read this every single week until we get to Christmas Eve. It is the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Let us read together this beautiful introduction of John to his Gospel. In the beginning was the Word. Oh, not together, sorry. Every time, I love it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the rights to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. It's the word of the Lord. The seat. I'm getting good at that response thing. When I've been here for 10 years, we'll be shouting it out. Just keep getting louder and louder and louder. Before, you know, our, our, our main kind of chunk of text today is, is verse 4 through, um, through kind of 14, 13, 14, until it gets to the grace upon grace part. But before we even get into that section of John, we, we have to go back to the very, very opening statements, and we, we get a big hint there. We addressed it very, very little last week, but we get a big hint about the love, the nature of the love of Christ in the fact that he is called something. In the beginning was the word, right? This idea of word to describe Jesus, right? And we, we, we talked about why Jesus is called the word in John's gospel, right? It goes back to the idea of creation and the speaking, and it tells us that, you know, the, the creation was spoken into being, and if Jesus is the word, well, then he was God in the beginning, and he was part of that speaking, right? He was the means through which creation happened. He was intimately involved in the creation of the world, but it tells us something else about who Jesus is by his nature, and that is that Jesus... And part of what makes the love of Jesus is that he is a God who is about revealing himself, right? It could, it could be almost translated, in the beginning was the revelation or the communication. Right? And we, we take this for granted. Like we have this, this book, this text that is the inspired word of God, right? And if you're, if you're a Christian, you believe that these are actually God's words. These aren't stories about him. These aren't really smart people. These aren't even like authors wrote this with the help of the Spirit. These are the words of God himself. And I don't know about you, I, I think we forget how crazy that actually is, right? That this, the cosmic force that created everything we are in, that created you and I and the world we're in and and the, the love that we share and the feelings that we have, think about it. It's not just making physical stuff, but it's making realities, spiritual and emotional realities as well. He creates all of this, that, that majestic force that made all of those things, wrote words directly to you and I. Right? He's a God of communication. How many religions in the world do we know that, that, that have a quest for truth, right? The whole thing is we seek truth in all kinds of places. We're trying to find truth somewhere. Well, we, we serve a God who said, you don't, you don't need to go looking. Here it is. And he just gives it to us as a free gift. To say, look, here, here's the word. Here's everything you need to know and understand and, and get about who you are and who I am and how we relate to one another and the creation that I made and how it's good and how to use it and how not to use it and all of these things that you are searching for, this truth is just here for you. That's why when we don't read our Bibles, it's such a baffling thing because what a gift of love that we have and serve a God who, through the personhood of Jesus Christ, 
speaks to us. Let that just sink in. He speaks to us. He's not a cosmic force that sends the world spinning and we constantly have to wonder how he feels about us or how he feels about anything. He tells us. You're not left guessing. I remember having a, a conversation with, uh, with a Muslim. Uh, and I, I'm not trying to get into the debates about religions, but one of the, one of the, you know, we weren't debating, but we were talking about salvation and, and how you know, this idea of assurance of salvation and one of the, the sad realities that, that he had to come to was there, there's no assurance of salvation in Islam. There's a do these things, right? Be good, follow these principles, these rules, these pillars, and all of the like. But there's no, like, there's no sense where like, you, you're, you're his now. At, at the end of all, when you die, when you go to heaven or wherever it is, right? That you're, like, this is how you know there's a security there. It's just kind of a hope. Right? And so if, if that was me at, at my deathbed, I would be terrified. Because you just don't know. Right? The communication is not there. But we have a God who communicates. Jesus is the word. That one little word at the beginning of John 1 tells us so much about the immeasurable love of Jesus Christ. We could almost stop right there, couldn't we? He loves us so much that he talks to us. You can go home and you can open this and you can read and you can be in the communicative presence of the one who created all things. That's mind-boggling. All of us should go home and just like, read this cover to cover before we do anything else. Right? That, like, if you want to know if sin is real in the world, the reason, the fact that we don't do that is because sin is real and we get distracted by things, right? If we could see clearly who God is and what his word is without any kind of spiritual blinders on, we, we, man, you would, like, you would have to like slap me to get me to look up from this thing, right? I would just be in it all the time. Be like, man, what if I miss something? I need to read that again. Well, you just read it three times today. Yeah, I know, but I, read your, I, I, could, I could have missed something that the God of the universe said to me. So I'm going to read it over and over and over and over again. God communicates to us, right? And he does it because his love overflows. What did I say? Love beckons to be communicated. Our Lord, the God of the universe, Jesus Christ, loves you and he loves me so much that he can't help but just talk. He just has to speak it. He just has to shout love from the rooftops and he does it through the creation and the beauty that we see in it and he does it through what he did when he came to this world that we'll celebrate in a couple of weeks and he does it through his word. He does it through the interactions that he has with the disciples and the people that he encounters when he spends time in, in flesh on this, in this earth and he does it through all of these mediums. He communicates because he loves us and he can't help but not to. See, God doesn't have to talk to us. He doesn't need to. He doesn't need you or I. He's perfectly satisfied within the triune Godhead of himself. You do nothing to add value to God in and of itself. Right? You don't earn it. You don't please him in a way that he, he, he couldn't do it without you. Right? He, he doesn't need you, but he loves you and I so deeply that he just can't help but talk to us. Like the nervous middle schooler ready to text the girl. that He just he needs to say something to her. He just, he just wants to talk to us. 
He wants to communicate. He wants to show us who he is. He wants to shower us with love and affection and care and redemption and all of these good things. We are the object of his affection. Right? One commentator wrote it this way. He said, the nature of love is to express itself, to find an object to attach itself to. We are the object that the love of God attaches itself to. It leaps out at us. And so he communicates, right? So we shouldn't gloss over this display of love. And then we go further, starting in verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John uses this idea of light to express the love of God, right? And light isn't, like, John doesn't have the copyright on light as a metaphor, but he really plays with it a whole lot as we get into these verses, doesn't he? He likes to talk about the light of Christ. And so what, what does light do for us as a metaphor to express the love of Christ, right? It keeps pushing the revealing nature of God, right? God is the word who speaks to us. Well, how does he speak to us? He lights. He is light to us. And so what does light do? Two things. First, light brings life. Right? Where does our light come from? Don't say electricity. <laughs> right? Right? Comes from the sun. If the sun moved away from the earth as it currently stands, just even a little bit, all life on earth would immediately cease to exist. It would die out. That, that light is precisely here in such a way that it illumines and provides life. It, it enables things like photosynthesis and all those kinds of things. You can get into the, the sciences as deeply as you want. But if the sun moves away from us even just a little bit relative to how close it is, life as we know it just ceases to exist. And so the first metaphor application here is that light actually provides to us life, right? The love of God is displayed through Jesus Christ in that he chose to make you, to breathe life into you. You got up this morning, that is a sign of the love of Christ for you in your life. You could have not gotten up this morning. You could have never existed to begin with. Right? If you didn't exist or never had existed, right? would, would, would the world not function somehow? No. I think we're all, we're all more important than we think and less important than we realize, right? We're more important than we think in the sense that we have, we have people that love us. If we were gone tomorrow, people would miss us and care about us and would mourn us deeply. We're going to have a, a funeral this week to, to mourn a loss within this congregation, right? And we feel it. But at the same time, if you never existed, the world would probably be just fine, Right? The Lord didn't need to create you, but he chose to. He breathes life into you because he is the light of men and he loves to create. He loves it. When he made you, he loved it. He put you together intricately, knitting you together in your mother's womb and as he created you and who you would be and what your personality would be and what your quirks would be and, and, and all the things that make up you. He was just, it was a joyful process for him. He loves to create you and he loved making you and he loved seeing you be born and he loved watching you grow and he loved watching you today get up and be who you are. He loves to do that and he displays his love, his light through being a creative force that sustains us, that keeps us 
alive. So the first way in which the love of Christ is displayed through light is to actually permit life to exist and to happen. He lets us be. He lets us be alive. But the second is that light, as it says, shines in the darkness. We're going to do a thing with with, with kids, with some kids in our church for Christmas Eve. Uh, And if you're a parent, you're going to hear about it if you haven't already very, very soon in the next day or two. But we actually set up a little studio downstairs in one of the classrooms to tape tape some of our kids uh, for Christmas Eve. And one of the the goals of that, that we have Christmas lights up, but the room had to be completely dark. And man, I can't tell you how hard it is to get that room to be dark. There's a window in it that's like the size of this stool, but we can't get the room completely dark. Why? Because light just permeates into the darkness, right? You have a perfectly dark room. You drill one hole in the wall. The whole room is visible. You can see in it. You can see where you're going. Not well. You'll probably still trip on something. But you can see, right? Like light permeates really, really well. If we ever wanted to get this sanctuary dark, it would be like a two-week planning process to get there to be no light in this room. black drapes, all kinds of stuff. We'd have to probably spend like $1,000 to get this room to actually be dark. It can't be done because light permeates every facet of the darkness. That's the nature of it, right? It's really easy to illumine something with just a little bit of light. If the power's gone out in your house and you use your phone to get around, you know that, right? So Jesus illuminates our life. He illuminates the world in which we're in. He tells us what the world is supposed to be like, and he tells us what it's supposed to be functioning as, and he tells us, more importantly than anything, truth. He gives us truth. In the world of darkness and of mess and of all of the stuff that we deal with and all of the wonder of how we're supposed to live and how the world's supposed to function and all the detriment that we see in all the wars and famine and chaos and illness and all these things, there's a truth that the word of God brings into our life that brings hope. Right? He is the light in the darkness. Jesus shows us what the fullness of life looks like. When Jesus came to earth to be amongst us, to be amongst the disciples and the people that he encountered, everything he did and everything he said was to paint for us a picture of the way that the world is supposed to be. You've heard it said, but I tell you, You think that this is the way that the world is supposed to work. You think this is the right path. You think these are the decisions that you're supposed to make. You think this is the way you're supposed to see one another and treat one another and do business together. But I'm I'm telling you, no, it's it's this way. I'm going to illumine the way that life is supposed to be. And so the love of Christ shines through in the sense that his example on earth to us And his word for us tells us the way that it's supposed to work. It illumines us. That is a very loving thing. A very loving thing indeed. That's why he tells us, and how are we supposed to be illumined? We are supposed to be the connected vine, the connected branches to the vine. Right? What does he say later in the gospel? Right? I am the vine, you are the branches. 
I'm going to illumine your life for a second. If you want to know why it's not working out, it's because you're not connected to me. Get plugged into me. Get on my path for your life. Make the decisions for your life that I'm calling you to make. Walk in the light of my path that I am illuminating for you, and you will have an abundant life, the likes of which you've never imagined. And not abundance in the sense that he'll increase your paycheck, although he might, but that's not a promise or a guarantee. But a light in the fact that he will give you the best actual life that you need that you might not even realize. One of the greatest things that the Lord does in prayer is not so much grant us our wishes like a genie, but he actually changes our hearts. When we pray for things, the Lord shapes us and changes our heart to want the things that he wants. And then he gives those things to us. That's why we, we perceive and feel the answer to prayer, because we're shaping ourselves to line up more with what God wants for our lives. We can only have life abundant attached to the vine. And Jesus' life models that, explains it to us, and helps us walk in the midst of it. And when it tells us in verse 5 that the light shines in the darkness, right? That, that is a present kind of active indicative word. And what it means is it's not saying the light shone in the darkness, When Jesus came to the world, there was a shining light. He was a light, and then he left again. It's an active verb. It's the, the, the light came into the world, and it's continuously shining out the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. So the light that Christ brings shines so bright in this world that the darkness isn't going to ever be able to defeat it or shut it down. It just won't. He's actively working to break through the mess of this dark world each and every day. And Jesus is the ultimate tool that God uses to do that. It's not, if it's not love, I don't know what that is. It's what he does for us. And now, for the remaining verses here, what John does is he, he, he kind of points out the tragic irony, and then he gives us an ultimate kind of path of hope as a result of the love of God. And the first thing he does is in verse 5 and on, uh, or 6 and on, sorry, he tells us about this dichotomy that, that's weird to him. He says, there was a man sent from God um, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He wasn't the light, but came to bear witness. And then he says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. That's the coming of Christ the first time. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. When he says that the darkness can't overcome it, the implication there is that it's trying. And we know this. There's an active effort in the world to reject the light of Jesus Christ, the love of God for us. Raise your hand if you know someone who rejects the love of Christ. Right? We're not judging here. We just know. We know that we live in a world that that sees it. And John points out how crazy that is, that we actually are, are created by him that he entered into the world he created and that we still reject him. There are still people who choose to reject the love of the light of Jesus Christ. What a tragic irony that John points to here as he writes. And it's baffling to the one who has come under Christ that he could be rejected. 
If you know Jesus and you experience the grace and the mercy and the sanctification and the shaping of what he does in your life and how he's at work and how he carries you, if you know it, if you feel it, if you get it, it it is mind-boggling to you that it could be rejected. And it's not a conceited statement. It's not that we're somehow smarter, but it's that the Lord has invited us into an understanding of his presence that, man, I just, when I encounter people that don't know Jesus, I just, I have to know what to do with that. Like, how, how, do, you, how do you not see it? Because sin just stains things, right? But the promise is that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness will not, cannot, does not ultimately overcome it. There will be a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord, right? But yet it's true that some reject him. We see this in the book of Romans, and the whole first chapter talks about this rejection, right? That the, even though the, the world, the created order, screams the glory of God, that people aren't able to see it, that their hearts are darkened, that they, they're unable to fathom the, the creator within the created, and so they worship the stuff rather than the maker of the stuff. Right? That's the whole point of Romans 1, is to point us to this idea that, as crazy as it sounds to the Christian, there is an active rejection in this world of the gospel, of the light. But then, John moves on. In verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Sorry, 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's a, that's a big verse for John. Right? It might seem small to us, but it's, for John it's a huge thing. John spends a whole lot of time discussing their rejection, but then he gets into this focus on what happens when we accept the light, when we walk within the light. To those who receive the light, John says, they will become children of God. The name of Jesus is the Son of God. And we talked about the the Trinity and the complexity of that. But what he's saying is, for those of us who walk in the light of Christ, who are willing to embrace that love spoken to us, brought to us, incarnated into our world, for those who accept it, we get to have the status of child of God. It's the Old Testament kind of world where where everything is about the heir, right? And the idea of the firstborn son and the inheritance that comes, all of that carries the weight into this verse. So when he says we are the children of God, that that means with all the rights and privileges thereunto. And John actually is baffled by this. this. This idea of being the children of God is something that he doesn't just mention here, but if you read John's writings... It's something he can't let go. Here's, here's 1 John. Yes, there is a John. Then there is a 1 John, a 2 John, a 3 John. And then there's Revelation, which was written by John. Right? There's a lot of John John going on in Scripture. But later on, if you ever want to do a Bible study in a really short book, all three of the John letters at the end are really short. But here's 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what, will, what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. John keeps harping over and over about this idea that we're children. And not only that, we're actually like Christ. 
If we walk in his light, we become like him. And on the other side of heaven, when the new Jerusalem comes, when the new heavens and the new earth are ushered in, when Christ returns to reign, we reign alongside of him. We actually will attain the very status of Jesus Christ himself as followers of him. We will follow him in earthly death and we will follow him in heavenly glory. If we walk within the light. And so John's opening, when he talks about the love expressed through the light metaphor of Jesus, is an invitation to wrestle amongst yourselves. It's an invitation to think about how you respond to that kind of love. Right? What do we say? Love begs to be expressed. When, when James says faith without works is dead, he's not saying that if we don't work for our salvation, we don't get to go to heaven. He's saying, look, if you, if you have the faith in Christ, if you see the, the works of Jesus, if you see the light come to this earth, if you understand what he's saying to you, and if you embrace it and run with it and trust it, right, that, the, the, the loving response that you would have to Jesus can't help but express itself in an actionable way. When he says faith without works is dead, he's saying, look, if, if your faith doesn't cause you to change or shape or do something, well, then I don't think you really even have it. Because, because love begs to be expressed. Right? When we live out a faithful life, it's in response to the trust we have in Jesus. That faithful life doesn't save you, but that faithful life is a response to having been saved. And if you don't walk in the way of Christ, and if you don't follow him, and if you don't have your life reflect that following in tangible ways, I would ask yourself, do you actually experience that love? And do you respond? Do you have the trust and the faith? Because if you did, it would move you. It, wouldn't, it couldn't help itself. You couldn't help but shout it from the rooftops. You see this in new Christians a lot of times. When people first come to know the Lord, one of the things that happens is they start to go and tell everybody. Right? I did this in high school. I was the weird kid for like a solid six months in high school because I didn't understand a whole lot about Scripture, but I knew that he had saved me, and it just, like, it hit. I just go tell people. They'd be like, well, tell me more. I said, I, I don't know anymore. But I, there's a church, I go to this place on Sundays, and they seem to know more than I do, so like maybe come with me, and we could learn together. Um, but you know, I, I, I'll tell you more next week, <laughs> right? But, but like, it just begged. Like, I couldn't keep it in. It wasn't that I was somehow like a faithful person who took the words of Jesus that said, go and proclaim the word, and I said, yes, I will be that. No, I just couldn't help it. It was like when you find that cute girl you like, and you just got to tell everybody, right? I just I had to express it. I had to get it out. Faith is supposed to be active. Because the response of the love of Christ, we can't help but somehow respond in a way that moves us, that shakes us. And Jesus is the giant beacon of light and love to us. The love of Christ expresses itself in the way that he reveals himself to us, that he illuminates the world that we live in, that he tells us how it's supposed to work, and that he helps us get to that point together through the Spirit, which he gives us. And here's the beauty of it. We've been talking about the love of Christ for this morning for the whole time. We haven't even gotten to the cross yet. We're going to get there next week when we talk about the grace of Jesus Christ in his personhood. 
But all of the things that we talked about today, all of the ways in which love expresses itself in the personhood of Jesus is before he ever follows the will of the Father by going to the cross. It's in the fact that he made us. It's in the fact that he loves us. It's in the fact that he comes to this world to live life as us so that he might understand and be able to sympathize and empathize with us, to see the world as we see it, and to be our great high priest. All of these things have nothing to do yet. We haven't gotten to the cross, and we already experience this uncanny love of Christ. And so the challenge that we have is are we going to walk in that light? Here's a, a theoretical question, and don't take it too far because we can go down a rabbit trail. If Christ didn't offer salvation, would we still follow him? In other words, if, if, if all we had was the illuminating love of Jesus, of the one who created us, and we saw him for who he was in all of his goodness and splendor, but it, it didn't help us after we died. It, it, was, it was in the moment. Would you still make a choice to follow him simply for who God is? Right? is? Is our following of Jesus fire insurance from hell? Or is it a belief and trust that he offers the way? And we'll take it, even if it doesn't go eternity. We would walk in his way even if it was for the next five minutes. Because he's so grand. And his path is so much better and so much more illuminating than anything this shabby world has to offer us, stained with sin. They will be worth it even just for five minutes. Ask yourself that. And then remember that he does offer salvation on top of it, like the icing on the cake to an already changed and shaped life. Will you embrace the love of God through Jesus Christ, expressed through his word and through the created order and through his incarnation and through his life with us and through the way that he exemplifies the way that God meant for things to be so that we can one day get back there. Jesus brought light to their darkness and he brings light to our darkness. So will we follow him wherever he takes us? Let's pray. God, we thank you we praise you for the light that is, that is you, that you bring to us, for the way that you illumine our life. Lord, we, many of us, remember what it was like to walk in darkness before you entered our life, before you shaped us and changed us and grabbed us and decided to say, you are mine, I will make you my own. Before you plucked us out of the oblivion of going through day to day of this world with no aim, no purpose, and restored us. And we praise you. We praise you for who you are. We praise you for the way that you illumine our world. We praise you that you didn't just make us and set the world spinning and step back and say, have fun, figure it out, but that you illumine every part of our life, that there is nothing that we do, nothing that we experience, nothing that we see that you don't speak to, that you can't describe and make sense of and tell us how to live in light of. We praise you for your word and as a lamp unto our feet. We praise you that it shapes us, and we pray that it would change us. We pray that this week even, as we go about our week, that the light of your word and your truth and your life would illumine our path, and that we might be different because of who you are and because you love us.
be with us this week. Let there be peace in the world, in our midst, in our spheres of influence, in our schools. Let there be rest and calm in our families. Let there be peace around the dinner tables as we gather for the holidays. And be with us. We love you and praise you. And together, all his people said, Amen.